Let's pray. Almighty God, Father of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus, we seek your mercies upon our country. Our country has, in so many ways, forgotten and forsaken our heritage and turned away from you. And while we do ask for your mercies upon our nation, we most of all pray that you would grant us the grace of repentance to turn around and to return to you. We're thankful for the faithfulness of those who have gone before us and given us so much to be grateful for. And we long to see more faithful men and women raised up to serve you in this place. O God of wisdom, justice, and might, we ask for your guidance for those who govern us and on those who would govern us, the President and Vice President, the Congress, Supreme Court, and all those who seek to serve the common good by way of public office, Help them all to remember that the only just government is the government that honors you and serves its citizens rather than itself. And so we pray that the righteous will be exalted and the wicked will be brought low. May the idols of our land fall down before you, and may all those who refuse to kiss the sun perish in the way of their rebellion. O Lord, on behalf of your covenant people, we petition your sovereign majesty to govern our governors by your power and authority and ask that you would grant your church peace and prosperity for the sake of your covenant and the gospel. Lord, we long to see our children and our children's children established in a godly land where your name is honored, where we might live quiet and peaceable lives and where the knowledge of you would cover the land as the waters cover the sea. May we be spared in the midst of this current pandemic even as your law reigns in our hearts and in our churches, families, and nation. Now, Lord, open our eyes and ears that we may see and hear as your word is preached. May we see and worship your glorious name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise for the reading of God's word from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Hear now God's word. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God, which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have been have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him? And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all all this law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself. And diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, 
especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, You may be seated. In times of national and international crisis, we inevitably ask, why? Is there any reason at all for this, or is this just another part of uh, the random, meaningless universe? Is this just one more example of the so-called impersonal forces of nature, or is there a person behind this? Is there purpose involved in the events of our lives? Is this coronavirus pandemic part of God's judgment, or is he simply another helpless observer? We should be careful about being presumptuous about answering these kinds of questions. However, there are some things that we do know, and we know them for certain. Sin affected all of creation, and as a result, the ultimate, it is the ultimate cause of death. Mankind fell from his estate of holiness and righteousness into an estate of sin and misery. Sin separates us from God. He is the source of life. As a result, God calls us to repentance, to turn from our sin. He judges individuals, but he also judges nations. As Amos chapter 3 verse 6 asks, Is there calamity in the city and the Lord will not have done it. There are plenty of private sins, family sins, church sins, and national sins. Even the world has placed themselves in jeopardy by turning against the Lord. There are sins of law and public policy, and so indeed there are national sins. And like passengers on a plane, we are on board with this nation a nation that has seemingly forgotten its original flight plan and has departed from the living God. We certainly should not presume that God has nothing to say about this current situation. As God's people, we bear considerable responsibility for the current moral condition of our country. We are called to be prophets and priests. We are called to proclaim and to intercede. We are called to pray and act, not only concerning our private sins, but also for the sins of our nation. These are sins of the church that must be repented of and remedied. And also, we must therefore wake up and we must speak up. But before we can speak up, we better learn or we better remember what it is that we have to say before we can teach all the nations all the things that Jesus has taught us, we'll have to first know what he said and submit to his authority, which is over us and over the nations. Listening to the statutes and judgments, our text says, which God teaches you to observe that you may live, applies to us and applies to our nation. And he says, therefore, be careful Be careful to observe them. Great nations listen to, need to listen to, and observe God's judgments. Proud nations, like we've been studying about Edom, 
who say, who will bring me down to the ground or think of themselves as too great to fail are inviting God's attention and He may very well take up that challenge. Sin is always about who's in charge. Is it me? Is it us? Is it God? Who is going to determine what is good and evil? It's really been the question from the beginning. Our postmodern age can be summarized with this question. Who's to say? Is there a transcendent, universal authority that determines right from wrong? Or is it simply a matter of raw political power? Is it the majority or perhaps a minority that has maneuvered to control the majority? Proverbs 14.34 tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And Our text today says, And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as, are in, as in all this law which I set before you today? This country has certainly been blessed by having the Word of God preached, ample copies of the Bible spread everywhere, and, and has had tremendous influence. And we're living off of those blessings that have come from our commitment to God's Word. But every place where we stray, every place where we forget, offers a threat. God will not be mocked. What are the first principles of our culture now? It's individualistic. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. It is pluralistic. That is, every view is equal to every other view and must be tolerated. It is egalitarian. <clears throat> that is, every individual must determine their, uh, excuse me, every, all people must have an equal equality of results. And that's what we look to government to do is to level the playing field so we can all get what we want. And in summary, Every individual must determine their own personal value system that's neither superior nor inferior to any other value system, and we must all be guaranteed success and successful and happy lives. What's wrong with this picture? The one view that is excluded from these first principles of our culture is the idea of an absolute transcendent morality. Such a view is anti-individualistic, anti-pluralistic, and anti-egalitarian. In short, it is intolerant, and the one thing that cannot be tolerated is intolerance. We exclude from the beginning the one solution to our moral problems. It's like saying that we need a standard by which to measure height and length, but we exclude all rulers. The foundation has been removed. The absolute transcendent moral authority, God, has been removed. So why do we expect the house to remain standing? An affluent society like our own seeks its own immediate gratification and pleasure. There is a humanistic, man-centered hedonism. And thus we read in the history of Israel when affluence turned them away from God, that God in judgment stripped them of their affluence in order to turn them back. Perhaps there is yet hope for this culture in the form of judgment. Hebrews 12 tells us that all discipline or all chastisement for the moment 
seems not to be joyful but painful, but in the end it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So political ethics, right and wrong, standards of right and wrong, starts with people by with people being moral. Why would we expect ethical leadership to emerge from a corrupt people? Corrupt leadership is itself a form of God's judgment on a corrupted people. And as judgment begins with the house of God, so must repentance. Political reform will come only when God's people are faithful to their covenant with him. Then as salt and as light, their influence will permeate the culture and redemption will expand to the political realm. Such reform is the result of a righteous people, not the cause of righteousness. With God ruled out of the universe as relevant, man places himself at the center. He becomes the measure of all things, the ethical baseline, if you will. He believes that good reason or perhaps the experts can provide sufficient ethical standards to produce a good society. But where does he even get his notion of goodness? Good for who? The majority? The individual? The unions? Why should one group of people determine what is good for any other people? Are ethics determined by consensus in a pluralistic society where there are myriad of ethical perspectives? Without an authoritative underpinning for that moral sense, the culture will continue to decay. Rationalism has failed and it will continue to fail because it cannot provide a starting point for ethics or morality. As Dr. Cornelius Van Til observed, the unbeliever seeks to build in the void, no foundation, just to build in thin air. All reasoning, though, requires a starting point, a base, a necessary presupposition, a major premise, if you will. All autonomous approaches fail because there is no place to stand. Ethical relativism crumbles because at the end, there is no fixed moral foundation to which it is relative. And so political conservatism comes up short as well. Many Christians have looked to political conservatives to rescue a corrupt political system, yet political conservatives can't succeed for the same reason all other autonomous ethical systems fail, and that is it has no authoritative baseline, it has no character or principle, it is often simply a reactionary movement with no solid principled objectives to drive it. G.K. Chesterton observed, the whole modern world has divided itself into conservatives and progressives. The business of progressives is to go on making mistakes, and the business of conservatives is to prevent the mistakes from being corrected. So we have to look closely to see much difference, however, uh, between the church and the world. That's sad. They are both pluralistic in their political views. They both think the political realm is somehow religiously neutral. They both think people are capable, apart from God, to establish some kind of ethical order. They both are antinomian or anti-law in their attitudes. How many people go go to church to receive directives, that is, laws, 
for how to live their lives, much less to have their political thought informed by the Word of God. Church has become a place, in many instances, of entertainment, a place to make people feel good, a place of compromise. When a church changes its doctrine and practice in order to keep in step with the times, it has lost its value, it has lost its saltiness. Silence is a form of compromise, and God's law has become public enemy number one in many churches. Historian Paul Johnson writes, In the last generation, with public Christianity and headlong retreat, we have caught our first distant view of a de-Christianized world, and it is not encouraging. Thus saith the Lord has been replaced with a touchy, feely, soft, feminine, existential, wimpy religion that is impotent to affect any moral change. It, too, has no ethical baseline. If we had time, we could develop various ways the church has manifest this attitude of antinomianism, such as liberalism's arbitrary attempt to hang on to the morality of Scripture while denying its authority. Fundamentalism's dispensational retreat into its parenthesis of individualistic morals and socio-political impotence. Neo-orthodoxy's reduction of thus saith the Lord to it seems to me. Dr. Greg Bonson observes, and the church has joined hands with the Enlightenment in emancipating society and politics from explicit biblical direction. The voices from both the church and the state have merged in repudiating God's law as a criterion for personal and civil morality. If there is no transcendent, unchanging, authoritative, ethical standard to which we are accountable, then it is simply every man for himself. There are no neutral zones in God's universe, including the political arena. Again, Deuteronomy 4, our text today, verses 2 through 4. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor, an idol. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. The biblical position maintains that the word of the Lord, the King of Kings, is the sole, supreme, and unchangeable standard or the baseline for the attitude and the actions of all men in all times and in all places and in every area of life. Our obligation is to keep the commandments and our obligation to keep God's commandments can't be judged by any extra scriptural standard. It is the creature's obligation to conform to the ethical standards of the Creator, whether he thinks they're reasonable or not. Eve didn't think the prohibition from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was reasonable. Professor John Murray said, it was a fatal error if it is thought that the Christian revelation, that is the Bible, does not come to the civil authority with a demand for obedience to its direction and a precept as stringent and inescapable as it does to the individual, to the family, and to the church. Christ is king of all the earthly kings. 
1 Timothy 6.15, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. John tells us that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. Our prayer is that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the kings of the earth, according to Psalm 2, 6 through 12, are to submit to Christ. William Symington, in his book, Messiah as Prince, said, It is the duty of nations as subjects of Christ to take his law as their rule. They are apt to think enough that they take as their standard of legislation and administration, human reason, natural conscience, public opinion, or political expediency. None of these, however, nor indeed all of them together, can supply a sufficient guide in the affairs of the state. Given the current uncertain circumstances and threat of calamity, it would be wise, it would be prudent for each of us to personally turn from our sins and to seek the Lord and His favor. Starting with ourselves, starting with our families, Second Chronicles 7, we read this morning in our responsive reading of the law. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Before we can go out into the world, it must be settled and fixed in our minds and hearts that we belong to Jesus Christ. Our loyalty is above all else with Him, which means that His Word is the Word that informs and directs our lives personally, corporately, privately, and publicly. He determines how we should live, how we should work, how we should love, and how we should vote. A fresh commitment to God's infallible, authoritative word as our only rule of faith and life is our only sure foundation, our only hope. So in the light of this current crisis, this pandemic, we should be praying, we should be repenting, we should be seeking the favor of the Lord. For he is mighty, he is almighty, and capable of dealing with this in exhaustive detail. So let us now seek the Lord. And so let us pray. Father, we live in perilous times, for we have forsaken your law and arrogated power to ourselves. Our nation can't be great if she abandons your perfect law and substitutes our own standard for yours. The church has failed to teach and proclaim your word as truth, and she has compromised with the world in order to be accepted by the world. Grant us the humility to repent and turn from such foolishness and give us the courage to be bold and to stand fast in the authority and power of your unchangeable word. Make us, as the body of Christ, to be the true light of the world. Make us the salt of the earth. In your judgment of this nation, remember mercy for your people's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.